All right, everybody, excited again. I get to talk with Jordan Rayner for the third time. I think he might be the first person we've interviewed for three times on the uh, C10 Money podcast. So Jordan, thanks for coming back for a third time. We got you back. Honored, Bob. Honored we'll be here, man. Yeah, and I'm excited too because uh, anytime you write a new book, I get pumped about it because I'm a fan of your writing and I really enjoy reading um, the words that you put in print. And uh, and anyway, so you got a new book called The Sacredness of Secular Work. Yeah, so I'm really excited about your new book. And this brings me to a point that uh, I think we share maybe this frustration here with this when it comes to work and kingdom focus work. And because I think there are a lot of people who think that the work that they do doesn't matter for eternity. And it's nothing more than a means to pay their bills and feed their families. Uh, but you and I know, and especially you, you just wrote the book on this. Like there's more to it than that, especially as Christians, kingdom minded um, believers. So tell me why that's the wrong way to think about it. Yeah. You know, Bob, um, I, 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 as you know, all my content is really, really helping believers see and respond to this radical biblical idea that what they do matters yeah. for eternity. But when you tell somebody that and you use that language, right, you tell an entrepreneur or a barista or a CPA that their work matters for eternity. The most typical response you hear is, oh, amen, my job is my mission field, right? In, in other mm -hmm. words. My work matters because it has instrumental value. I go to work to collect a paycheck to fund my church and or share the gospel, quote unquote, with my coworkers. And listen, that, that's a wonderful thing. I pray that everybody listening to this is doing that. But if that's the only way that our work matters for eternity, then most of us are wasting most of our time, right? Like yeah. how, how much yeah. time do, do, does the average person spend sharing the gospel in a 30-day period. Like, let's be absurdly generous and say it's three hours a month you spend doing these things. Yeah. That means that roughly 1% of your time matters for eternity. And I don't know about you, man, but like that's deeply depressing. And more importantly, yeah. it's deeply unbiblical. And so that's why I wrote this book was to help readers see how 100% of their time at work Every Zoom meeting they lead, every Uber they drive, every story they write, every spreadsheet they build has the potential to have an echo on the other side of this thin veil currently separating heaven and earth. So that's like real big picture. We can get more concrete than that. Um, but you know, the, 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 the roots of this sacred secular divide are really, really deep in the church. That's why we're going really deep in the book to try to help slice away, chop away. Uh, at some of those roots in the modern church. Yeah. Yeah. So give me some examples or I'll start with one example um, yeah. because I'm sure you have some in the book. I, I haven't had an opportunity to read it yet, but uh, I'm sure you have some showing what this can look like. Um, so can you give us some examples that come to mind? Yeah, sure. So what what it can look like to understand that your quote unquote secular work is sacred. Is that yeah, what you're talking doing about? this right. Like yeah. what? What's an example of what does this look like doing it right? Yeah, I'll give you a good example. Uh, I told the story of my friend Chassie. Chassie uh, came to faith in Jesus Christ when she was in her 20s. Uh, she was a hairstylist um, at the mm -hmm. time. And the overwhelming message she heard from her church was, great, um, now that you're a Christian, sell everything you have and move to China to be a quote-unquote full-time missionary. So that's what Chassie did with her husband. And wow. they were miserable. 
they were, this was clearly not the work that God had called them specifically to do. They were depressed. Uh, it was a really, really bad time. So they came back. She reopened her hair salon and she actually came across one of my earlier books called The Create and for the first time understood that her work mattered to God when she created. And so here's what this looks like when you get this. Here's the difference. Chassis is fully alive Monday through Friday for the first time in her Christian life. And what does that mean? It means, number one, that she's able to commune with the Father more and feel a deeper yeah. connection to God. But number two, oh, by the way, fully alive people attract the lost like honey attracts bees, right? Jesse's yep. had more opportunities to share the gospel here in the States in Austin, Texas, than she did being a quote-unquote full-time missionary in China because she's yep. doing the very thing that God made her to do. That's beautiful. Yeah, so that reminds me of a couple of different things. First one that comes to mind is Eric Liddell yeah. from Chariots of Fire, like his famous quote. It's a great of, story. I feel God's pleasure when I run, when he was being encouraged to go to the missionary field. It's like, I feel like God's made me to run, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I look at like Chip and Joanna. Yeah. Again, like not necessarily full evangelistic work, although they talk about their faith, but like yeah. God is using them. It's so clear. It's so clear that he's using them and what they're building. And and I think there's so many other examples like that, but that's, that's a great story um, because... Yeah, like I remember um, young, or as a young Christian um, down in Florida, not too far from where you lived, I was down there for a year um, going to a really small church and that was part of the mentality. It's like, if you really want to serve God, you get in the ministry. And if you're not in the ministry, then you're just kind of a halfway Christian. You're just not really, you know, and which was really hard for me as a new Christian because like, oh, I guess that's what I got to do, you know? Yeah, and there's this deeply pervasive lie in the church today, which is brand new in church history, came onto the scene about 200 years ago, uh, that I think is the root of all of this. It's this lie that the great commission to make disciples is the singular mission of the Christian life. Yeah. This is brand spanking new in church history. Yeah. And it's problematic for a lot of reasons I break down in the book. But one of those problems is that obviously blocks believers from seeing how their work outside the four walls of the church matters for eternity because the Great Commission is the only commission that saving souls is all that matters. This world's going to hell in a handbasket, which is deeply unbiblical, right? And so making widgets and planting farms yeah. and cutting people's hair doesn't matter. But if you understand that God's plan for this material world is renewal and redemption rather than destruction— now yeah. I can understand how my work with this material world, cutting hair, planting a garden, typing on MacBooks made out of aluminum from the earth, matters deeply to God. So it, 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 that, yeah. that's the journey we're taking the reader on. It's like, what is the gospel, right? What is the yeah. unabridged gospel of scripture? And what we see is it's good news, not just for our souls, but for the whole cosmos and the material world. And that has direct implications on how we think about which work matters to God, not just quote unquote spiritual work, but all the work we do with excellence and love and in accordance with God's commands. Yeah, that's great. I love it. All right. So let's talk about eternal rewards. This is something yes. I talk a lot about financially and storing up yes. treasures in heaven and that side of things. Um, but I'd love to hear from you because yeah, there, there are so many Christians that are like, I just feel really weird about that. Like, should that be something I should be chasing? And like, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? 
Oh man, I'm so glad you brought this up. I talk to Christians all the time who feel a tremendous amount of guilt of, oh, it feels, it just feels wrong is what they say. It just feels wrong to be motivated by eternal rewards. Let me give you three reasons real quickly, listener, why you should brazenly chase after eternal rewards. Number one, Jesus told you to over and over and over again. Constantly throughout the gospels, he's motivating as far as with the eternal rewards. I just got an email from Dr. Randy Alcorn, who's written a lot about this. Mm -hmm. And uh, Randy says this, he says, quote, while it may sound selfish to chase after eternal rewards, it is Christ's command to us so we should eagerly obey it. If we maintain that it is wrong to be motivated by eternal rewards, we bring a serious accusation against Christ, end quote. So that's the wow. first reason why we should chase after him, right? Jesus told you to. Number two, we got to understand that rewards are repayment for things that we sacrifice in this life. Hebrews 6.10 says that God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him. In Revelation mm -hmm. 22, Jesus said, I am coming soon to bring my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. God's saying that rewards are repayment for what we sacrifice for his sake in this life. You and I don't deserve a single thing in this life, right? But if we give up this life for the sake of Christ and his gospel, scripture says we do, quote unquote, deserve rewards in the next one. And this is what proponents of the perverted and heretical prosperity gospel get wrong, right? Jesus did not promise our best life now, but he did promise our best life later because true yeah. Christianity is a fight. All right, here's the last reason. Give you one more why we should brazenly chase after eternal rewards. Number one, Jesus told us to. Number two, rewards are repayment for what we sacrifice in the present. Number three, the greater our rewards, the greater God's glory will be for eternity because mm -hmm. we're going to look at all those treasures, all those crowns, all those increased job responsibilities and lay some of those rewards down at the feet of Jesus and worship. And whatever rewards that he insists that we keep, and I do think he'll insist on us keeping some of those, are going to be eternal reminders that Jesus was worth way more than whatever yeah. we sacrificed in this life. Yeah. That's so good. I love that. Yeah. That's really, really powerful. So, um, okay. So you mentioned in there a little bit of the increased responsibilities. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear you touch on that a little bit more about when, where I think you're going with that is what we do on this earth determines some of what we're doing in heaven. Is that correct? Yes. That's exactly I right. Mean, so let, let's, let's clear up real common misconception real quick. First of all, nobody is going to spend eternity in heaven. Not one person. Ultimately, heaven is brought here to earth. See Revelation 21. And God will dwell with his people on a perfect renewed earth, right? So we got to understand that ultimately heaven is earthy and it's here, right? Second, we got to understand that eternity, according to God, is not a vacation, but primarily a vocation working alongside him without the curse forever and ever. Isaiah yeah. 65 makes this abundantly clear. It says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. My people will build houses and dwell in. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit for as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. Listen to this. My chosen ones 
will long enjoy the work of their hands and they will not labor in vain. Contrary to the American caricature of heaven as a glorified retirement home in the clouds, God's word doesn't say that we're going to sing, Lord, I lift your name on high forever and ever, or strum a heart forever and ever, or recline in a hammock forever and ever. We will work and reign with Christ. And yes, the way we work in this life shapes the amount of responsibility that we're given in the next one. Jesus made this really clear in a couple of his parables, right? I was talking yeah. with Johnny Erickson Tata when I was um, writing this book. He's like, listen, I want to live this life so I could be maximally helpful to the king in the next one. Like, that's yeah. the idea, right? Stewarding yeah. this life as well as we can so that we've got as much responsibility to serve Jesus King in the next life. Why do you think so much of the church has missed this? How long do you have? Uh, so uh, a, a, a couple of reasons. Three things happened in tandem roughly 200 years ago, 200 to 400 years ago. Number one, the Great Commission for the first time in church history became the only commission Christians felt called to. Mm -hmm. Number two, we basically lost our theology of the new earth and accepted this half-truth of heaven as, you know, glorified retirement home in the clouds. And number yeah. three, we began for the first time to abridge the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these three things are totally related. If you walk into any church today and you ask somebody, hey, what's the gospel? The most common answer is going to be the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save you and me from our sins. Every word of that is gloriously true, but tragically incomplete. The full good news, the unabridged gospel that I talk about in this book, The Sacredness of Secular Work, is that God created a perfect world, right, here on earth to dwell with and work with you and me for eternity. We screwed up our rules, see Genesis 3, ensuring our need for a redeemer. Jesus has come to make all things new not to just save our souls and escape us to the clouds to be with him forever and ever. And one day he's coming back to live with us here and work with us here on a perfect renewed earth. That's the full good news that we see from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And this has direct bearing on how we think about what work matters to God and what doesn't. Because if our eternal existence is disembodied souls floating around doing nothing but playing a harp forever and ever, what we do today does not matter in the grand scheme of eternity. But if yeah. God's plan for the world is to save it, to redeem it, then our work with this, we're, we're rehearsing the eternal right now, Bob. You, I really believe on the new earth, we will be using technology like this to record podcasts, to do the very thing we're doing today, subduing creation for God's glory and the good of others. And there's lots of evidence about this throughout scripture that. Some of the literal things we make in this life literally will physically last into eternity. But the church doesn't talk about this because Crazy. we've settled for these wishy-washy cultural half-truths of heaven being this glorified retirement home in the sky. Yeah. It's crazy to think about, like, because, again, like, I, I feel like I've, uh, I've read a book or two over the years that have given me hints of this, but so much of what I've heard yeah, in most Christian circles, just doesn't talk about this. And it's and it's so important and significant in how we approach our day-to-day, -day, which kind of leads me to the next question. Like, 
How has this revelation that you clearly have gotten here, how has this affected your day to day? You know, because again, like oh, we man. talked about redeeming your time. Yeah. And I think that's probably a big part of it for you. Like, but, but what else? How has this affected your world, Jordan Rayner's world? Yeah, this is so good. And, and keep in mind, I'm not just writing about this stuff. I'm doing this stuff. I'm working out in the world. I'm chairman of a big tech startup. Yeah, number one, um, like my friend Chassie that I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's made me come fully alive in my work because I understand that 100% of my time at work can matter for eternity, not just the 0.1% of my time that I spend in exclusively, quote unquote, spiritual tasks, right? Yeah. That's number one. Uh, number two, because of that, it's given me more opportunities to share the gospel than ever before. So uh, th this book, The Sacredness of Second Work, I'm really attacking hard this lie that the Great Commission is the only commission. The irony is once you understand that, you become more, not less effective at the Great Commission, right? Because mm. when you understand that 100% of your days matter to God, you are fully alive and fully alive people attract honey like, attract the laws like honey attracts bees. Number three, it leads me to redeem my time, right? Why? Because I believe I'm not just encouraged by the fact that my work can matter for eternity. I'm challenged to make it matter more in the grand scheme of eternity. Yeah. Because while all good God-given work matters for eternity, not all work matters equally for eternity. You can have two marketing managers at the same Fortune 500 company who are both believers and one of her, one of them is making her work matter more for eternity because she's doing things that are earning her eternal rewards. For example, praying while she's working in community with God, sacrificing on behalf of her coworkers. Those are earning her eternal rewards while her counterpart mm -hmm. might not be doing those things. She might just settle for the fact that, oh, yeah, my work matters to God and not change anything. But we ought to redeem our time, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, because the days are evil and we are running out of time to participate in the blessing of co-laboring with God in the present and earning eternal rewards for the future. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. It's so powerful um, to begin like unpacking that revelation and how that can affect everything that we do. Um, yeah, that's really, really good. All right. I want to transition to something that I'm curious to see how this um, is tied into all of this. Yeah. But Let's talk about this anti-bucket list. What is this yes. all about? Yes. Well, this is, I mean, this is a perfect segue from our conversation about eternal rewards. So the, the whole concept of a bucket list, as I'm sure our listeners know, assumes that the only chance that we have to enjoy the best places, the best food, the best experiences this world has to offer is to enjoy them before we die and kick the bucket, right? That's an unbiblical lie. I believe straight from the pit of hell peddled by Satan today. And once we can replace these half-truths about heaven that I talk about in the book with the whole truths that we see in Scripture, we see that we're going to have eternity to enjoy the best places and food and experiences that the world has to offer. And furthermore, as we talked about a couple minutes ago, Scripture makes clear that while our entrance into the kingdom of heaven is by grace through faith, period, full stop, the rewards we receive will vary widely based on how we steward this life. You've talked about this a lot, Bob. And so for that reason, I think more Christians, I, I listen, I got no problem with the bucket list, right? 
But more of us need to be building anti-bucket lists, catalogs of things we strive not to do on this side of eternity so that we can accumulate as many eternal rewards as possible. Let me just give you one very personal example from my life. I love great cities and I love my hometown of Tampa, but Tampa's not a world-class city on par with London or Washington, D.C., right? Nothing fuels my soul more than being in downtown London with my bride and with my kids. And so I'd love to move to London, right? But I don't. Why? Because my parents are within 10 minutes of me. My wife's parents are within five minutes of us. And let's face it, they're not getting any younger. We want to be here in Tampa to care for our parents as they age. Now, listen, because I'm really selfish, that's a massive sacrifice for me personally, less so for my far less selfish wife. And if I were living for this life only, move to Washington, D.C. or London would be at the very top of my bucket list. But knowing that heaven will ultimately be here on earth and that I'll have all eternity to explore the greatest city of all time, the New Jerusalem, and I believe many other cities, the new London, the new Washington, D.C., the new San Francisco, yeah. praise God, right? I'm fucked sacrificing that in the present because Ephesians 6 tells me, that the Lord will reward me for, quote, whatever good I do, end quote, in this life. Does that mean God's going to give me the urban flat I've always dreamed of in the New Jerusalem? I don't know, but I do know that God sees my faithfulness and sacrifice in the present. Hebrews 6 says he is not unjust and he will reward me for whatever I good, good I do in this life. So in the sacred and secular work, yeah, I'm calling readers to build these anti-bucket lists. I walk them through a process of doing this so that we can maximize our eternal rewards as we work today. Yeah, it's really interesting because I have, we both probably have uh, friends, colleagues who uh, are successful to some, let's just say financially successful, like that yeah. component of it to where they are able to check off a lot of things on a bucket list. and. It's been interesting because I, especially as I'm getting older, I'm seeing a, a more definitive line in the sand of which ones are focusing that, checking off things off a bucket list or just yep. making our lives comfortable for lack of a better descriptor versus those that are um, mission and purpose focused. Yeah. And I endeavor to be mission and focus purposed. You know, yep. we are on the earth for a very short time in light of eternity. Yes. And, and anyway, so the reason I'm saying all this is because that's beautiful because that's additional fuel for that. Yes. That, be patient. It's okay. If you don't get everything in your bucket list, like that's not the highest and most important thing. And Jesus is going to take care of you and reward you anyway, you know? Yeah. But we can't, we can't be properly motivated here until we have an accurate theology of heaven. Scripture mm -hmm. abundantly clear that the new Jerusalem is going to blow our minds. Scripture makes it abundantly yeah. clear that there is there are cultural goods in eternity. See Isaiah chapter 60 as Jesus welcomes ships and cultural artifacts into the new Jerusalem. It makes mm. it clear that there is great food for eternity on the new earth. We are going to celebrate the consummation of heaven and earth with choice wines and meats, Isaiah says, right? So once we replace culture's lies about heaven with scripture's truth, it makes it a lot easier for us to make that transition yeah. to sacrificing for the present and building those anti-bucket lists, if you will. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good. All right. 
Where can people find the book? Is there only one bookstore in the whole world that has There's it? There's only one bookstore in the entire world that... <laughs> no, just kidding. Hey, by God's grace, you should be able to find the sacredness of secular work wherever books are sold. Uh, if you can't remember the crazy long title, just go to jordanrainer.com and we got a link yeah. to the book right there. But yeah, man, we're, we're really excited about this project. We've been super honored to have the book be endorsed by some crazy, crazy people like my friend Brian yeah. Alcorn and Mark Batterson and Johnny Erickson Tata. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's going to take this um, faith of work conversation forward somewhere. And I'll, I'll leave your listeners with this, uh, just kind of micro encouragement before we leave. These terms, the terminology we use in the church today matters a great deal, right? And that word secular that we've been throwing around for the last 30 minutes mm -hmm. literally means without God. But you and I believe that every believer listening to this podcast has the Holy Spirit with them wherever they go. And so the only thing you need to do, believer, to instantly make your quote unquote secular workplace sacred is walk through the front door for log onto Zoom. The more interesting question is, how does that sacred work that you're doing at Amazon, at uh, Ernst & Young, at your local mechanic shop, how does that matter beyond the present, beyond loving your neighbor as yourself right now? How does it matter for eternity? And that's what I'm trying to help readers really unpack in the sacredness of secular work. Yeah, that's great. So yes, everybody run out, check out this book, get a copy. Um, Jordan never disappoints with any of his writing. And so you're really going to enjoy this and, uh, and buy some for a friend. Cause this is something, this is a message I think is deeply important. Uh, yeah. on on so many levels, and it's something that is near and dear to my heart, which is, you know, why I love having you on the podcast so much, but anyway, thanks for the conversation. Thanks for chatting, sharing your wisdom and we'll do it again. Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for joining us on the Seed Time Money podcast. And remember, money isn't the goal, but it's simply a tool to help you fulfill your purpose and your calling. And we'd love to help you achieve true financial freedom faster with our email newsletter. So if you want exclusive money tips and hope-filled encouragement in your inbox, head over to seedtime.com to get signed up.